Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release on the air. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Well, hello again, friends. Welcome to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek, and uh, I'm the co-senior pastor here. And I want to welcome you, especially if you're the first time checking out Vineyard Altoona today. I'm so thankful that you've chosen to join us, and I hope this is a beneficial time for you. We're going to continue in a series, and I want to start out, uh, I don't know if you've ever ridden on a Southwest Airlines flight. Have you ever been on a Southwest flight? For those of you who have, you know it's a distinct experience, right? It's something different. Uh, One of the things that Southwest values is having fun at work. And so at Southwest Airlines, uh, everybody has a good time. So you might see a a gate agent telling jokes while you're waiting to board a flight. Uh, Or or when you're on the flight, you know, the the safety briefing that happens, the flight attendants uh, will do something amusing. I heard uh, one time uh, I was on, on a flight uh, out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and we were getting, it was six in the morning, getting ready to leave, and I'm sitting on the right side of the airplane, and the flight attendants come over the, the PA, and uh, we were, it was a full flight, and so the flight attendant said, uh, everybody on the right side of the airline, or uh, right side of the airplane, put your face in the window so Northwest can see uh, what a full flight looks like. They just say things that are funny, right? You know, like, uh, for example, you know, in the safety briefing where where they say, if you're going to put your oxygen, if you're going to help somebody else to get an oxygen mask, put your mask on first and then assist other passengers. So they say that, you know, if you brought a child, uh, put your mask on first and then help your child. And then they'll say something like, if you brought more than one child, choose your favorite now. So Southwest, uh, they just like to have fun. So, uh, and that's a core value at Southwest Airlines. Everyone has a lot of fun at work. Uh, And and there's a story that goes around about Southwest where they had a new passenger and this guy got on the flight and early on in the safety uh, briefing, the the flight attendants were making jokes and the, the guy on the flight didn't really appreciate it. He felt like, you know, safety is no laughing matter. You should be serious. And so when he got off the flight on the other end, he wrote this strongly worded letter to to customer service at Southwest Airlines. And he said, listen, this is, I demand that you fire this flight attendant or I'll never buy another ticket. So uh, the the CEO at the time, Herb Kelleher, uh, he he took interest in this letter and, and he wrote back a letter to the guy And it only had three words. It just said, we'll miss you. That this core value that Southwest had of having fun, and they still have if you ever ride on them, that this core value that Southwest has about having fun, sometimes it costs them, but they will never uh, go uh, renege on their value of having fun at work. This is the nature of core values. We've been in this series that we started a couple weeks ago called Core. And the point of this series really is to remind us of who we are. I said in the first week that story is so important because we often as human beings need to be reminded of the story we're a part of because it helps us to make sense of the life that we live. 
And so the first week we looked at the grand narrative of Scripture, this story that God is telling that answers the questions like, where do we come from? And who are we? And what is our purpose? And what's wrong with the world? And how will it all be fixed? That was our our first week. We looked at the narrative of Scripture. And then last week, we looked a a little bit narrower uh, at the church of Jesus Christ and the mission that God has given to the church. And especially the mission of Vineyard Altoona, this church, our mission is to equip people to release the kingdom of God wherever we are. That's our mission. And our mission is to equip you to fulfill all that God has designed you to do. That's the mission of Vineyard Altoona. So these things, like I said, the first week and the second week, that they build on each other. So this week, after after we've talked about the mission of our church, we're going to look at the core values of our church. Uh, Over the past few months, we've done some work to sort of bring clarity to our core values. And some of you will remember we had five. And because of our our time of intentionally clarifying, we're down to three core values. And here's what they are. The first value is we join what God is doing. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. We join what God is doing. The other two are we highly value the outsider. And then the third value is we pursue wholeness with authenticity. So we're going to take a look at each of these over the next three weeks. Uh, And and so let me give a little bit of context for what core values are. Mission explains why we exist. It explains why we do what we do. We exist to equip people to release the kingdom of God wherever they are. Values give us direction on the manner in which we engage the mission. So this, these are the things that we won't violate in behavior on our way to doing our mission. In other words, if mission tells us why we exist, core values tell us how we behave. Who are we? How do we behave? What's normal in this family known as Vineyard Altoona? As followers of Jesus, of course, we take our direction from Scripture. That we don't make up core values. We take our direction from Scripture about what is norm. And each of our core values can be seen throughout Scripture. You know, what's interesting about mission and values, and especially preaching about mission and values, is a lot of times it's hard to just go, well, here's one passage to tell you exactly uh, what our mission is. And this is one passage that tells you what our values are. Because these things are things that should exist throughout Scripture. It's more like a biblical theology of each of these things. And in this case, today we're going to talk about we join what God is doing. We're going to talk about sort of a biblical theology of joining what God is doing. So we're going to talk today about that value, but I want to pray. Would you pray with me before we begin? So Lord, I do invite you to come and fill us, Lord. Lord, would you speak to us? God, we don't want to do anything that you're not doing. We want to hear your voice and obey. God, I pray that you would put your words in my mouth. God, I pray that that what I say would benefit, would build up, would edify your church. And God, I pray that it would strengthen the faith of those who follow you. I pray that it would give gifts of faith to those who have not yet believed in you. Holy Spirit, would you put power on this message, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So we're going we're gonna to talk about this. We join what God is doing, that this is a fundamental value of this church. We join what God is doing. You know, we find this all over the place, and, but we're going to narrow it down because I'm not going to read the whole Bible to you in this little bit of time. Uh, but I want to narrow it down. And each time I talk about our, our values, I pick a different passage. But I want to narrow it down to one particular place today. I want to look at John chapter 5. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 5. And, and let me sort of set up what's happening here. You know, Jesus is the perfect image of God. And we talked about what that means two weeks ago. When this is over, if you didn't catch uh, the previous messages, you can catch them on our YouTube channel or, or a podcast. But go back and listen to it so that you understand what it means to be the image of God. So Jesus, the perfect image of God, he's the model of what it looks like to be human and to do it well, he's demonstrating the rule and reign of God. What we would say is the kingdom of God, the kingship of God. He's demonstrating, and that's what it is to be the image of God. And so the Jewish leaders get fairly upset with Jesus. If you read you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can see they get upset with Jesus all the time. And they're getting mad at Jesus because he's doing things on the Sabbath. He's just healed a guy, and the guy says it's Jesus, and so they're upset with him because he's healing people on the Sabbath, and that they consider his work. He's doing work on the Sabbath, and so they, they begin to persecute Jesus, and in verse 16, here's what Jesus says. Chapter 5 of uh, the book of John, verse 16, here's what we read. It says, so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Jesus gave them this answer, and pay attention to this. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Listen, if you believe in analog Bibles, like if you have one in paper copy, grab a pen or a pencil or a highlighter and underline that part of verse 19. I'm going to read it again. It's critical. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. What Jesus is saying is that as a human being, he is not the initiator of anything. He says the only things he does is what the father is doing. You catch that? I want you to think about what this is communicating. Think about it for a minute. Jesus, the perfect image of God. Jesus, who lived up to being what we could not live up to be, what we failed to be. The image of God, the, the, the one who shows the world what God is like, who demonstrates the perfect rule and reign of God, who demonstrates the kingdom of God everywhere he went. Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. 
Jesus is our savior, but he's also our model. He's demonstrating what it looks like to be fully human. And what Jesus says it looks like to be fully human is to only do what the Father is doing. That's how you be fully human. This is how Jesus lived all of his life. He didn't just do things because he wanted to or because he thought they might be expedient. He did the things that God was inviting him to do. If Jesus, the perfect image of God, the model of humanity, only does what he sees God doing, how much more should we do that? How much more should our lives be marked by being obedient to the Father? How could we be any different? This is what Jesus models. Think about this in your own life. How could you do anything else? If you want to do what God is doing, if you want to to be who God created you to be, then it means you only do the things that God tells you to do. When we think about how we behave as a church, as Vineyard Altoona, when we think about how we behave, one of the primary things that we want to be is a people who see what God is doing and join him. We want to be people who hear the voice of God and obey it. God is the initiator. We respond. The issue is an issue of initiation. Who's in charge here? You know, our understanding of the story of Scripture, why we started two weeks ago where we started in this series, our understanding is that God has invited us into a story He is writing. I'm not writing the story. You're not writing the story. God is writing the story and he invites us into it. He initiates the story. And because we understand that God's design for humanity was to reflect the rule and reign of God in the world, all initiation comes from God. Like we said two weeks ago, everything comes from the hand of God. We get this backwards so often. We don't initiate. God initiates. We respond. But beyond that, if it wasn't just about what we talked about two weeks ago, if we come to last week, the mission of God's church, bringing people back into restored relationship with him and restoring and recreating all things, that this is God's mission that he invites his church into, it's his mission. He dictates the mission and we respond in obedience. This is what it is. We don't dictate the mission. He does. This is how life is supposed to work. Part of the reason that we in American Christianity don't get this right and we have so much trouble with this is because we don't understand the nature of the gospel. We struggle. We've we've Americanized the gospel so often and we preach an incomplete gospel that leaves us in control. And don't we like that? I like to be in control. Don't you? Right? Don't we want a gospel that leaves us in charge? That's sort of like Jesus takes care of the nasty stuff while we are the heroes of the story? Isn't that what we want? 
This is the gospel that so much of, of the church in America preaches. We say, you know, you have a problem. And your problem is that you're stuck in sin. You're a sinner and you're under God's wrath. And because of that, you're condemned to hell. But here's the good news. Jesus came and he died on a cross such that you, if you pray this prayer and accept Jesus as your savior, you will go to heaven when you die. This is the American preached gospel. That's the deal. And here's the thing. Don't mishear me. I don't think that that's wrong. It's incomplete. We've shaved it back far enough that you and I can be in control. You know, we just trust Jesus for our afterlife. He buys us this eternal fire insurance policy. We stick it in the safe and we're good, right? We're going to go to heaven. We can sort of live our lives the way we want and not much changes. You know, one of the critiques about uh, about Christianity from the world around us is that it doesn't make us look different. This is why. It's an incomplete gospel. You know, it leaves us in control. We still make all the decisions about how we do life. And friend, this may hit a little close to home. You know, we choose our careers. We decide who we're going to date and who we're going to sleep with and who we're going to marry. We decide whether we will move out or not. We decide if we're going to move to another place. We decide if we're going to change churches or keep going to this church. We decide what political party we're going to be a part of and what political positions we're going to take. And what we discover is that our Christian life looks an awful lot like our pre-Christian life. We just have more things that we have to attend. And it really doesn't make a difference in the lives that we live, even though when we were told it would radically change our lives. This is the problem. It's not because the gospel is necessarily wrong. It's incomplete. We discover that, you know, God is a lot like I am. God likes the things I like. He votes the way I vote. He thinks like me. He parents like me. He engages in a marriage the way I engage in a marriage. And what we discover is that we've made God in our image instead of being made and conformed into the image of God ourselves. The gospel of the Bible is not just that Jesus is your Savior. It is that. But it goes beyond that. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus is Lord. That he becomes in charge. That to surrender your life to Jesus is not to surrender just your eternity. It's to surrender all of your life to Jesus. That's the only way it changes your life. Here's the picture. Before you give your life to Jesus... You're in the driver's seat and you are driving the car of your life. You decide where you're going to go, how fast you're going to go, what you're going to see, what roads you're going to take to get there. You're in charge. But then you see Jesus along the side of the road and he's flagging you down. And so you decide to stop. And Jesus goes to get in the car, but he doesn't get in the passenger seat. He walks around the car and he opens the driver's door. And his invitation to you is to get out and to let him drive. And if you let him drive, you get in the back seat. That's what it is to surrender your life to Jesus. 
Jesus now drives. He determines where you go, what you see, what route you take to get there, where you stop. Sure, you from the back seat can say, hey, Jesus, can we go over here? Hey, Jesus, can we look at this? Hey, Jesus, can we do that? He entertains what you ask, and sometimes he'll let you do whatever what you want. He'll respond to you sometimes. Sometimes he'll say, yeah, you really want to do that? Let's do that. That sounds like fun. But sometimes he says, no, that wouldn't be good for you. We're going over here. But the picture is that you are no longer driving. Jesus is in charge. When you hand your life over to Jesus, he doesn't just become your savior. He also becomes your Lord. And the thing that makes a difference there is that he's in charge. We come into his story. He doesn't come into ours. We come into his mission. He doesn't come into ours. We do things his way, not our way. It's critical that we get this. This means that we seek God's direction everything in everything we do. We seek the direction of the Lord and we only do what he says. That's how we live the Christian life. And frequently, Jesus doesn't do things the way we think he should. Have you ever had that experience? You know, we want to be efficient, get the biggest bang for our buck. Let's not waste any time. I'm, I especially uh, am that way. I'm a, for those of you who know the Enneagram, I'm an Enneagram 5. I very much don't want to waste time. And so Jesus frustrates me a lot of the time. But here's the thing. It's always better when we do it his way. You know, he's not efficient. I don't want to waste time. Jesus seems to not care about whether or not time gets wasted. You know, God doesn't live by the, the constraints of being timely. Now, maybe that's not quite right. He's always timely. He just doesn't do it on my schedule. Let me give you a couple of examples from Scripture. In the Old Testament, after uh, God rescues the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt, and he breaks them out of, of slavery in Egypt. It's a majestic picture. You can look at it in Exodus. And he's going to take them to this promised land. And on the way to the promised land, some things happen. God determines that the current population of Israel is not the right people to inhabit the promised land. Yes, Israel as a nation will inhabit that land, but these aren't the people to do it. And so what does God do? He makes them wander in the desert for 40 years till that generation dies off. <laughs> I mean, if it's me, it's like, hey, give them the land. We'll sort it out when we get there. No, God's not tied up in... in being efficient. Uh, maybe a New Testament example for you. John chapter 11, a little bit further than the passage we just read. Jesus finds out his friend Lazarus is sick. Lazarus is, is this, this person that Mar Mary and Martha say uh, that Jesus loves. When they, they, they call for him, they say, the one that you love is sick. And uh, they reach out and, have, and they want Jesus to come and heal him. Now, Jesus can do it. He's already done healing. That's not a thing. But Jesus waits two more days. He gets this urgent message and he waits two more days. In the meantime, Lazarus dies. If it's me, I'm like, hey, let's go heal Lazarus and then we'll come back to preaching. No, Jesus is like, this is what I'm doing. Lazarus dies. Of course, the, the end of the story is that Lazarus is raised again from the dead. But the point here is that Jesus doesn't operate on his own timeline. He operates on the timeline that God dictates.
that he does what he sees the father doing. And here's the, the beautiful point here is that because Lazarus dies, everyone around learns that Jesus raises the dead. He makes a point because he does things in the timing of the father. This is the kind of people we want to be. Like, doesn't that spark you that you want to be the kind of person that does powerful things because that's what God is up to? We want to join what God is already doing. You know, the alternative you can see everywhere. You know, one of the things that has been astounding to me, when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I knew everything was different. And I knew that Jesus was in charge of my life. It was clear to me that I had been a dismal failure at running my life. And that to give my life to Jesus meant I wasn't in charge anymore. In fact, the prayer I prayed was, if you can do anything with this life, I need you to do it. I understood from the very beginning, but one of the things that's been so stunning in my nearly 20 years as a follower of Jesus is how much Christians don't do this. How much Christians dictate how their lives will go. People who have the Spirit of God residing in them, and instead of relying on God who is making all things, including us, new, we call our own shots. It blows my mind. Let me give you an example. You know, we plant churches, and it's sort of like I said last week, the in vogue thing to do. Let's plant a church. That's like the Christian superhero. And so we go to plant churches, but the thing everybody always does is it's like, well, okay, we're going to have a big building. We've got to have a big band that plays awesome music and a killer kids program. Got to get, you know, preaching that's just on point, which anybody who's ever started preaching knows that that's not how it starts. Uh, <laughs> and on top of that, we got to get flyers to the whole neighborhood. We need like lighted signs and big flags and all these things. And in order to plant a church... And we do it because that's just the thing you do without any thought about what God thinks about the whole thing. We do this in our personal lives, don't we? And this one might get a little close. We see someone whose life looks better than ours, don't we? You're thumbing through Instagram or Facebook and you see all the pictures. Of course, people don't put the pictures of the bad days. We see all the pictures about their great vacation and the new house they got and the car they're driving. And so we begin to copy them. We, we begin to listen to the things they listen to. We read the books they read and, and we buy the food that they buy and we drive the car they drive. And you just wonder, like, are we hoping to become the other person? What are, what's our hope? Certainly we can learn from the example we see. But we're not the initiators as followers of Jesus. God is the initiator. And could it be that God created you and I to live a story that does not conform to the cookie cutter ways that we see in the world? Could it be? Could it be that God created us to do something different? I want to tick off just three implications if we live life this way. We want to join what God is doing. There's three implications here. The first thing is everything will happen slower than you think it should. You know, as a nation, we want to do things quickly, right? We have microwaves and drive-throughs and Keurigs. We want things to happen quickly. And that can happen if you're in charge and calling all the shots. But if you live the kingdom life, things happen much slower because you're waiting for God's direction, always. One of the things that I'm learning as I follow Jesus is if someone asks 
for an, an answer now, it almost always has to be no. If you don't want to allow me to ask the Lord, it puts me in a position of being in control of my life, and that's what God is supposed to be. And so it's almost always no. It's not because necessarily what you're asking is bad. It's just that I'm not in charge here. To do what God is doing means that things will happen slower, but his timing is always perfect. The second thing is, we don't decide how God will use us. John Wimber, uh, the founder of the Vineyard Movement, would say that we are loose change in God's pocket. He can spend us however he likes. If you live your life in a posture of responding to what God is doing, he will do far more with you than you could ever imagine. I was an airline pilot on my way to a prosperous career, but some of the most joyful times of my life have come as I've been redirected as a, as a, a pastor and church planter. The third thing, and I'll wrap up with this, your life will make more kingdom impact than you could ever imagine. You know, burnout and, and exhaustion rob Christians of so much joy and impact. And it happens because we take on things that we think we should do or other people think we should do. But if you will listen to what God calls you to do and only do those things, your life will make a kingdom impact that you could never imagine. We want to be people who do what we see the Father doing. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.